we are here this morning. Welcome this morning. Um, I want to start off here um, with a little bit of housekeeping, okay? Um, usually it's a misspelled word uh, on your outline. That's an issue. Uh, today it's a, it's a bunch of numbers that may be a misspelled word on there. The nice thing about not being able to spell is I don't know. Um, you'll know, but I won't know. Um, so uh, if you're looking at the, uh, the verse numbers here, um, you're going to change the second point, the king's demand and decree, um, from 5 through 11 to 5 through 12. Your next one is going to change from, instead of 12 through, uh, I can't even read what I scribbled out, 16. You're going to do 13 through 17, and the final one will be 18 to 24. 18 to 24. So if you are a note taker, you can do all of that real quick. So we're going to talk about a subject that no one struggles with this morning, and that is fear. Okay, fear. Um, as a child, uh, some of you know that I have many irrational fears, but as a child, I had a specific irrational fear, um, and it involved a dream. Um, tell me if I've told you this before. I've had, as a child, I had a recurring nightmare as a child about a particular thing. Have I shared this with you guys before? Okay, so I was afraid, um, this recurring nightmare, I would go down in my basement, and I'd go down to the basement, and there would be a, you're going to laugh at me, there would be a puppet stage set up, and in that puppet stage was the Count from Sesame Street. I was deathly afraid of the Count from Sesame Street. Complicated things growing up in Philly and Sesame Place being right in my backyard, so I knew he was close. Um, but you know, I, uh, one street lab, two street labs, uh, 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 you know, I was, I was so afraid and had no idea why I was, I was afraid of this, um, this puppet that was not, um, had no influence over my life, had, had nothing. If, if I wanted to, I could, I could not look at the television screen when the, um, when the, the count came on, but for some reason it's gripped my life and it was, a, it was Going to bed at night, I would, I would think to myself, oh no, I'm going to have this dream again. Um, and it was an irrational fear as a, as a child. Growing older, um, there's times where I probably should have been afraid, and, and I wasn't. Um, especially during my teenage years, but even apparently into my 40s. Uh, several months ago, we had uh, an individual come in. Um, Pastor Stephen, I think, was um, either away or he was, um, he was at a pastor's meeting way out in the boonies, because he likes to go to those, um, way out in the boonies somewhere. And um, I got a phone call from Becca saying that there was an individual who wanted to talk. Um, and I said, great. I was over at my mom's house. I was working with her um, in her business, just trying to clean up some files for her. And um, I said, I'll be right over. So, you know, my parents live right around the corner. So I come over, and um, this individual was, I'll be kind, he was a little confused about a few things. Um, and we began talking, and in the, in the course of the conversation, I didn't know this was happening, um, but uh, Becca had told me this, this gentleman was, was a little bit confused, and she was a little uncomfortable with, with this guy being here. Um, and my mom sort of found out through this process that uh, this person was a little bit confused. Uh, so I go in, 
And my office is always a mess. You can go look at it right now. It's a mess. So I, I sit in Pastor Stephen's office. And um, this gentleman, we introduce ourselves to each other. And he, um, in the beginning of the conversation, he asks me a question. And he says, are you afraid to die? And I looked at him and I said, no. <laughs> Which is probably the wrong answer to tell to somebody who's confused. Um, but I said, I said, no. I said, I'm, I'm not afraid to die. I said, living is, is sometimes more difficult than dying. Um, and it's always more difficult for, for those who know the Lord. Um, dying is our, is our reward. Dying is when the, the pain of this world and the suffering of this world uh, ends and, and we get to experience glory. So am I afraid to die? No. Well, little did I know, uh, you know, uh, Sergeant Rosemary, uh, my mother, um, decided to follow me over and uh, Becca and Rosemary are listening to this conversation and Rosemary has a Louisville slugger bat. Um, she is ready to go full mama bear on, uh, on this individual who is confused. Um, but fear makes us do unusual, irrational things. Um, and in, in Daniel here, we're talking about this idea of fight, flight, or faith. I can tell you that Rosemary is a fighter, okay? Do not get in an argument with Rosemary. It will not end well for you. Um, and maybe Rosemary would say, too, that sometimes she needs to choose a little more uh, faith than she does fight, but um, she, is a, uh, she is a mama bear, true and true. But this morning, um, we're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to look at this king who is powerful. Um, we're going to look at Daniel and his response to this king's um, decree that's honestly, from the world's perspective, his, his demand is a little irrational. Um, the, uh, the people who, who answer his demand, the sorcerers, the magicians, are going to look at him and say, buddy, you're, you're being unreasonable here. Nobody can do what you're asking us to do. And because this king is afraid, fear tends to flow downwards in the chain of command. Um, because the king is afraid, the sorcerers, the magicians, the Chaldeans, they become afraid, and the nation is quickly gripped by fear. So what we're going to look at here is when fear consumes those around us, are we devoured by it or do we remain devoted to God? So let's pray as we begin. Father God, Lord, you know our hearts. Um, God, you know our minds. You direct the, the kings of the nations, God. Your heart or their heart is in your hands, God, and you direct them whichever way you want them to go. Lord, even though things sometimes seem out of control, they seem uh, a little confusing at times, um, God, I just pray, Lord, that we would turn to you, uh, Lord, for answers um, to, to what we're going through, uh, Lord, and that we would remain devoted to you and not be devoured by fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2 here. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, last week, we, we talked about suffering um, and remaining steadfast, uh, sanctifying ourselves. We talked about drawing a circle around ourselves and, and not fighting back. 
not um, you know, screaming from the rooftops or, or posting something on a wall or um, getting angry or mad or avoiding the subject entirely. Um, we talked about how Daniel just drew a circle around himself and said, I'm going to choose not to defile myself. Um, the, the Israelites were taken into captivity. The, the nation of Judah was taken into captivity here. Uh, and they are now serving a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 1 of chapter 2 here, let me go back to it. Verse 1 of chapter 2 here, it starts off and it says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled, troubled, and his sleep left him. Um, again, I want to address a few things here. The book of Daniel is not written in chronological order. Okay? I don't know how many of you picked up on this um, so far, but we talked last week that his captivity, when he was taken into captivity, he would be, uh, he would be um, educated for three years. And obviously Nebuchadnezzar was the one who come in and came in, and now we're in year two. But Daniel has already gone before the king and been evaluated, so we are stepping backwards here in time a little bit, okay? I don't think it overall affects the uh, understanding of the passage at all. You just need to know that the book of Daniel is not necessarily written in chronological order. Um, so we're in the second year of the king, of Nebuch uh, king Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And I want to talk about this man, Nebuchadnezzar, for a second, because I think we have a tendency sometimes when we come across these kings, especially in the Old Testament, to kind of look at them as like, I don't know, cartoon villains, in a sense, that there is a very obvious flaw that they have that everybody sees except for them, um, that they're kind of dopey and kind of goofy and um, not really that much of a threat. Um, I think from this story today, we are going to find out that Nebuchadnezzar is not a caricature. He is not a cartoon villain. Um, Nebuchadnezzar knows exactly what he is doing. Um, how do we, what do we know about this, this King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we know that um, of kings that are mentioned in the Bible that uh, we would consider pagan kings, he is one that is mentioned the most. The nation of Babylon is the second most talked about place uh, on earth in Scripture, the first being what? Jerusalem. Babylon's the second. Nebuchadnezzar here, uh, his dad was a guy by the name of Nebo Pulsar, okay, Nebo Pulsar, and Nebo Pulsar, what he did was he made an ally with another nation, the Medes, who will come in later, um, and he decided that he was not going to pay tribute to um, Assyria, and Assyria came down, and they defeated um, the Babylonians and the Medes defeated the Assyrians in Babylonia and then decided to go up to Jonah's territory, headed up to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and they utterly crushed the Assyrians. This is what Nebuchadnezzar's dad did. Now we think about sons of the boss sometimes, sons of the king. They don't necessarily walk in their father's footsteps. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dad forced Nebuchadnezzar to fight alongside of the warriors. 
Nebuchadnezzar saw unspeakable atrocities before he was a teenager. He grew up on the battlefield. This was a man that was hardened by the world. He saw the very best that the world had, and he saw the very worst that the world had. When he comes to power, when his dad passes away here, and the Babylonian Empire is established through his dad, and he takes over, he's about 29 or 30 years old. He's a young guy. But war has aged him beyond his years. And I do think that there is a point in Nebuchadnezzar's life where he looks around and he says, no one is as smart as me, no one's seen as much as I have, and I am the epitome of as close as you can get to a God on earth. And he's going to say this in chapter 4, basically. He's going to stand up on top, he's going to look out over his kingdom and says, look at all that I have done. The problem with Nebuchadnezzar too is that he surrounded himself with people who are yes men. He has complete authority in his kingdom. When Nebuchadnezzar is crowned king during his coronation, um, historians have recorded that he prayed to his god, Madoc. Prayed to his god, Madoc, and he said, may my kingdom never end. I want an everlasting kingdom kingdom. And this is the premise from which Nebuchadnezzar rules. So in the second year, he's got a bad dream. The dream troubles him in his heart. This is not a man who was given easy to fear. This is a man who looked death in the eye and said, ha, give me my sword. He is not afraid to die. He's not afraid of any man. And he's not afraid of any God. Nebuchadnezzar is his own God. But he has a dream and it troubles him. So he calls together his buddies. Verse 2. Then the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to the king to tell the king his dreams. So they came and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. So Nebuchadnezzar gathers everybody that he thinks is smart in his kingdom. He gathers them all together, the magicians, the sorcerers, uh, the Chaldeans. Um, Who are these Chaldeans? Um, we, We don't get a real great... Uh, explanation of who the Chaldeans are. Uh, The best that we can uh, surmise is that these Chaldeans were from the the area that Babylon was established in. Um, These were um, the the hometown heroes of, uh, of King Nebuchadnezzar. It would be like me if I was king of, of the United States, if I was president of the United States, and I was like, hey, you know what? Let's just get some Philly guys in here. Like, let's get some guys from Philadelphia that really know where I came from because they're smart. I mean, obviously, if I came from there, they came from here. But these are wise men that the king respects. He respects their opinion, 
and what they say to a point. Nebuchadnezzar is a shrewd guy. We just had Julie read um, in, uh, in Deuteronomy here uh, what a true prophet of the Lord looks like. And one of the things that came out of that is that the nations that, that Israel and Judah were to come in contact with, they would have false gods. And some of the things that these sorcerers and magicians did would be enticing. They would be convincing to the Israelites. You guys remember Moses? You guys remember Pharaoh? Remember Moses' staff? Right? He throws it down, turns into a snake. Sorcerers, they throw down the magicians. They, sort, they throw down their, their staffs. They become snakes. I mean, if I'm Moses, I'm sitting there going, Oh, God, did you, did you set me up for, for this? <laughs> like, you know, I, I was supposed to do this, and everybody was supposed to be like, ooh, wow. And the magicians do the same thing. It's enticing. It's scary. We, we look at this, though, as, as Christians, and we're like, oh, sorcerers, magicians, wise men. Like, what do they know? Well, here's the issue. We're going to talk about this in a second. The scary thing about these individuals is that sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're right. Nobody would listen to them if they were always wrong, right? I mean, these these people would have died long before, especially in Nebuchadnezzar's court. They would have died long ago if Nebuchadnezzar wasn't getting results. These guys are effective to a point. And this is why Nebuchadnezzar calls them in. Now, we, we, in, in verse 4 here, we learn uh, something interesting here. Um, we say, we hear this, this phrase here. It says, they, they answered him in Aramaic. And this is one unique thing kind of about the book of Daniel here. Uh, the book of Daniel is actually written in two languages. Um, it starts off in Hebrew, and then it transfers right here to Aramaic. And it goes all the way through the end of chapter 7 in Aramaic here. And then switches back to Hebrew. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Like why, why does this switch languages here? Um, and I think the answer is in Daniel's position. I think it is. I think that God said supernaturally in his divine providence that these chapters, from chapter 2, verse 4, until the end of chapter 7, was written specifically for the Babylonians and the Medes and the nations that would follow here. So that they would see that there is, as we're going to read at the end of chapter 2, there is a God in heaven. And that God not only has authority over his people, he has authority over all people. But we come back to our story and the king is scared and he's, he's scared and he is troubled. And this is probably something that was not usual up to this point for these individuals to see. And they say to the king, hey king, calm down. Tell us what your dream is and we got this. We'll We'll figure out your problem, king. Just turn to us. We've got the answer here. See, the king has this dream that is causing him a distress in the first ones, and he's going to now make a demand of these individuals. 
chapter five, or verse five here of chapter two, it says, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not playing around. I am so scared right now. This dream is so different than anything that I've ever experienced. I want you to know how serious I am. I am not changing my word on this. Not changing my word. He says, unless you tell me what the dream is and its interpretation, you're going to all die. You're not just going to die, you're going to die horrible deaths. I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Remember what we said last week. Babylon was different, okay? It wasn't Assyria. They wanted citizens, they didn't want slaves. But now that the king is shaken a little bit, he is back on the battlefield. And he's like, listen, this is how this is going to go down. Either you tell me what it is and what it means, or I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Houses will be destroyed. But verse 6, if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Hey guys, it's not all bad news. If you can do this, you're going to be awesome. You're going to be set for life. I will give you gifts, rewards. You will be the man in the kingdom. I will turn to you every time and you will know your position is secure. But if you don't, you're done. What was the, uh, was it the Queen of Hearts in um, Alice in Wonderland? Right, what did she say? Off with their heads. That's, that's where the king is right now. He says off with their heads. But if you do it, you're gonna get great rewards. Verse seven. They answered him a second time, said, kind of scratched their head and said, let, <laughs> let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show him its interpretation. A second time they said, whoa, hang on, hang on uh, King Chad, if I can call him that, uh, hang on King Chad, um, you just, just tell us what the dream is and we'll give you the interpretation. Like this is how this works. Okay, our magic and our sorcery and our wisdom, it works this way. You tell us something and then we'll give you the interpretation. And this is where I believe Nebuchadnezzar to be very highly intelligent, very shrewd and very smart. Verse eight, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Now we get a peek into what Nebuchadnezzar actually thinks about his magicians, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. He thinks they're frauds. He says, listen, we can go back and forth here, okay? We can waste a lot of time. You can keep trying to stall for time. But I know in the past, 
that you guys have gotten together before, talked about what the interpretation is, agreed so that it would benefit you, and then it didn't turn out the way that it was supposed to. You guys lie to me, either to appease me or to advance your own cause. I know how this works, guys. I've seen behind the curtain here. I know where you guys are getting your information. He says, my word is firm. There is no funny business that's happening this time. You tell me what the dream is. You tell me the interpretation. That's it. Final. Therefore, continuing in verse 9, therefore tell me the dream and I shall know you can show its interpretation. King wants proof. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered and said to the king, there is not a man on earth who could meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except for the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Are the Chaldeans and enchanters, magicians, sorcerers, are they wrong in what they say here? They say, listen, there's no one on earth that can do this. And there's no king that's ever asked for this. King, you are asking us to read your mind. And even worse than read your mind, you're asking us to tell you a dream that you had in your head. My wife, I love her to death. There is, I have pet peeves, so. My wife will tell me her dreams. And listen, I'm, I, I think of myself sometimes as a busy person, okay? I may get to go fishing a lot, um, but I, I'm always thinking. Like, there's always an internal monologue that's going on, a conversation with God. I'm always kind of, kind of you know, mulling things over and, and figuring out things. And to sit here, Julie... And listen to one of your dreams. Here are my thoughts here, okay? This didn't happen, okay, in real life. The only person that it's affected is you, okay? This has absolutely no bearing on reality right now. I'm not, I'm never going to have the gift of interpretation of dreams, okay? I'm just, I'm not that guy, okay? I, I, I found this out from the Lord. I don't have this, this gift here. I don't even have the ability to listen to them. I think they're a complete waste of time for the most part. But at least if you're asking to read someone's mind, you can look at the person. You could maybe uh, determine some body language. This is what, this is what uh, you know, the modern day tarot card readers and, and, and people do. They are experts on human beings and, and figuring out what human beings want to hear what the desire of their heart is, how they can latch onto a story and basically continue a storyline. This is even worse, though. No one was there when anything happened. This is between Nebuchadnezzar and we're going to find out God. And these sorcerers say, there's no one on earth that can do what you're asking because the gods do not dwell with flesh. 
we're going to meet a character who knows the God who will eventually come and dwell with flesh. The God who will reveal mysteries, as Daniel is going to tell us. The Chaldeans aren't wrong. The enchanters, the sorcerers, they're not wrong here. They just haven't found Daniel yet. Because Daniel is the man who can do this, but they don't know that yet. No one says no to the king. You know, it's, it's interesting here to think about these false gods and why they follow these false gods. Nebuchadnezzar at no point in his questioning of his um, sorcerers, magicians, Chaldeans, anything like that, at no point does he reference his gods. He doesn't say speak to the gods. He doesn't you know, talk about the God that he prayed to during his inauguration. It's not even a, it's not even a thought in his mind. The Chaldeans and the sorcerers are the ones who turn to their gods and they basically say, our gods don't work this way, okay? There's things that our gods can do. This is not one of them. So verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the king has a demand. The king comes in and he says, listen, tell me the dream. Tell me its interpretation. If you don't, you die. I'm going to kill everybody in your family. Your house is going to be laid to waste. If you do, you're going to get great rewards. It's an all or nothing approach here. Chaldeans, the sorcerers, magicians start to make excuses. And then the king makes his decree. Because of this, the king was very angry and furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Remember that word, wise men, for a second here. Um, Daniel chapter 2 in verse uh, 13 here, we're going to pick it up, but we're going to look at how Daniel responded to the king's decree, because he is not in the king's court when this happens. They gather all the magicians, the sorcerers, every wise man there is. Daniel is not there. Why? Because this is the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and he's still where? In school. So, uh, verse 13 here. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Is there anything about Daniel that we've already read in the book of Daniel to let us know that he might be the right guy for this job? Anything we talked about last week. Somebody turn to Daniel chapter 1 verse 17. Cindy, are you there? You will be. You're there. One page. That was it, right? Read it loud so everybody can hear. Oh, well, that's convenient, right? I mean, it's like God knew that there was going to be a dream that he would need to interpret. 
I mean, God's really, you know, he's really on the ball here today, all right? I mean, he, he ate his Wheaties in the morning and knew that he was going to give the right gifts here to the right people. Daniel has this ability, this unique ability that God has given him for this moment, right now. All the wise men, all the Chaldeans, all the magicians, all the enchanters, they are going to run for their lives. And the chief of the guard shows up at Daniel's house and he's ready to kill them. So, uh, verse 14, and Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arach, um, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Now notice, he, he replied with prudence and discretion. When they knocked on his door, they said, hey, listen, this is what the king said. This is his decree. Somebody was supposed to tell him what the dream was, tell him what the interpretation was, and if they couldn't, every wise man in Babylon was going to be destroyed. And that's why I'm here today. They couldn't do it. Got my sword. You're here. Stabby, stabby. That's the, that's, that's the gist of what the king of the guard says to him. And Daniel does not respond with dismay or distress or panic. He responds with what? Prudence and discretion. Daniel doesn't lose his head. Daniel says, hang on a second. Let me talk to you about this problem. See, Daniel knows he has a unique ability. He knows God has given him a unique ability. He may not know why, have known why at the time that it was given to him, but he knows he has it. So he responds with prudence and discretion. Guys, how many times, how many promises in Scripture have we read that Pastor Stephen told us this morning? How many times in Scripture does it say, do not be afraid? I mean, it's all over the Old Testament. It's all over the, the New Testament. It's in almost every book that we read that there is this idea of fear and that those who trust in the Lord should not be afraid of the world and its schemes. Think about David. David writes um, beautifully and he says, why do the nations rage? Why do evil men plot vain things? It's pointless. There's a God in heaven who is in control of all things. And Daniel knows this. He says Babylon is here for a reason. And it's because Israel and Judah have sinned. This is what the word of the Lord has said. Therefore, I will not panic. I will not be afraid. I will respond with prudence and discretion. Guys, the word of God is not going to return void. It is not here just to make us feel better, not to make us feel secure and, and comfortable. It's made to be lived out, and this is what Daniel is doing here. He says, God, you have me here for a reason. Use me. Prudence and discretion. Verse 15, he declared to Iraq, um, the captain of the, of the king's guards, what is the decree that the king is so urgent? Iraq made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went and requested to the king to appoint a time that he might interpret uh, 
uh, might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek the mercy, seek mercy from God, the God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel's given time here. Why? Uh, The chief of the king's guard, I mean, it was clear what he was supposed to do. He wasn't supposed to go out and find someone who could give the interpretation, who could tell the king his dream. His job was to kill all of the wise men. Why does he give Daniel the time of day? Why does he even explain to Daniel what's going on? I mean, listen, there's probably a lot of people to kill today, all right? I mean, he's probably got other things he wants to do. Maybe he wants to go fishing later. I get everything done quick so that I can go fishing, okay? I don't know what this guy's day looked like, but it was a lot of killing, and then maybe he went home at night. There's a lot of people to get through. Why does he give Daniel the time of day? I think this is a characteristic that we're starting to see in the lives of these men who are obedient to God. This doesn't just happen to Daniel. Think about, think about Joseph in the Old Testament, right? What, what's so special about Joseph? Well, nothing, really. But the entire nation of Egypt is blessed because of this individual here. This individual who says, listen, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to remain faithful to my God. You know, we read the Abrahamic covenant and us New Testament people, like we want to jump right to, hey, yeah, all nations will be blessed through Jesus, right? All nations will be blessed through the line of Abraham through Jesus, eventually. Like that's, that's where we want to go with it. But we need to look at the steps along the way. Guys, if the nation of Israel is obedient, if the Israelites are obedient to the word of God, blessing flows out from them. This is an encouragement. This is an incredible encouragement for the nation of Israel. Because Joseph is uniquely placed in Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh is blessed. Because Daniel is uniquely placed inside the nation of Babylon, they're going to be blessed. Here's the great thing about God. God can do it with even an unwilling servant. Right? What did Pastor Stephen preach on? He said, listen, God is going to use you. Whether he uses you unwillingly, whether you go kicking and screaming, or whether you go obediently is up to you. Which one do you want to be? We have a guy by the name of Jonah who goes to Nineveh, to the Assyrians, And he brings them a message that brings them salvation for a time. They repent of their evil ways for a time. See, God is gracious. Not just to the Jewish people. Not just to the nation of Israel. God is gracious to these pagan nations through his people during this time. Daniel says, I can do it. 
Has God given him the interpretation yet? No. Has God told him what the dream is? No. He tells the chief of the guards, listen, you go back to Nebuchadnezzar. You say, hey, put me on your schedule. Put me on the king's schedule. Why? Why does this this guy listen to him? I'm going to tell you, not only is Daniel being shown favor to his captor in the beginning where he says, listen, I'm going to choose not to defile himself. God is doing the same thing here with this with this warrior who's here to kill him. God is saying, listen, I am going to show favor to you in this man's eyes. I'm going to let you get your appointment. What does Daniel do? He starts worrying. He's like, great, I just made a big claim. Now I got to come through. No, he goes back to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he says, listen, guys, let's pray. Let's get together. Let's huddle up here. We need... God to reveal what is happening right now. We believe that God is not done with us here, that our story does not end today, and that he is capable of giving us the dream and its interpretation. Verse 18 again, and he told them, uh, um, and he told that to them seeking mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon. Verse 19. Now let's go back for a second because I totally didn't mention this. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through uh, 17 here, we do see the kings devoted. And you'll notice in your notes here, we have the little king, and then we have the big king. See, Daniel and his friends are still devoted to the little king. They're still respectful of the little king. They still show prudence and discretion when dealing with the little king. But they know for sure who the big king is. And they remain devoted to him. Verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong all wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives kings wisdom uh, he gives, I'm sorry, wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and you have made known what we have asked of you. For you have made known to us The kings matter. Look at Daniel's response here. And be careful how you read it. I think Daniel is in awe of God right now. I think Daniel is on the floor and his fear is not for the little king. His fear is of the big king. Because the big king, Yahweh, Jehovah, 
just showed up in a big way. But Daniel knows he was always there. He turns to God and he says, to you belong wisdom and might. What he's saying in a real real sense here, he's starting with himself. He says, it's not in me. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. And guess what? By implication, the king is not strong enough. He is not wise enough. God, you are wise. You are strong. You change the times and the seasons. Listen, God, everything happens according to your plan. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's plan. It's not the king of the land. It's your plan, God. You remove kings and you set up kings. And we say, okay. Now, Daniel, you're starting to scare us because we know the second half of the the chapter here. We know that the king's dream is going to be all about setting up kings and removing kings. You give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Listen, there's nothing that surprises God. There's nothing that shakes God to his core. What we're supposed to see here is the difference between the king of Babylon and the king of kings. The king of Babylon right now is shaken to his core. Our king, the king of kings, he's not even breaking a sweat. All of this is according to his plan. He reveals deep and hidden things. Verse 23, to you, O God, the God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel ends with praising God. He says, listen, I know I'm not smart enough. I know I'm not strong enough. I know that I don't know the things that are in the dark, but I know, God, that you are all of those things. And you have made me strong. You have revealed these things to me. When I was getting into, when I got into real estate um, and even even selling cars, um, Christians would come to me sometimes and they would say, why are you so successful at doing this? And I would look at them and say, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'm not incredibly good looking, okay? Maybe I'm funny. Like, maybe I can make people laugh. Maybe I can, I can talk and things like that. But I truly believe that these two principles here, fearing the Lord and drawing a circle around myself and saying, listen, I'm gonna choose not to defile myself because I know the God of heaven. I know the God of heaven. And if he chooses to bless me, he will bless me. And if he chooses me to be in another profession, guess what? He'll choose for me to be in another profession. And all I can do is walk in a manner worthy as we learned in the book of Colossians. This is what Daniel already knew. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. This isn't just conveyed in Proverbs. It's in Joshua. It's in Judges. It's in almost every book that we read in the Old Testament. That if you do not fear the real king, and you get caught up in the fear of the nations, 
And when the whole nation panics here and you are consumed with fear here, you've missed the point. You're never going to see the forest despite the trees here. You are going to be stuck where you are, paralyzed by fear of the things of this world. Daniel even though, and his friends, even though they're in captivity, they are completely free right now. They're not afraid of the king. They're not afraid of his decrees because they know his words only go so far. Verse 24, therefore Daniel went to Iraq and whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king and I will show the king his interpretation. Daniel's confident that the Lord has spoken to him. Here's some, some takeaways for us here. Because the king of kings has delivered Daniel, his friends, but not only that, he's delivered all of these evil, wise, wise men of Babylon who are looking in all the wrong places for answers. What are our takeaways for today from this story? I know, I know a lot of us, we, we love this story. We love, you know, looking at the statue that we're going to talk about next week and all of, the, all of the pieces of the statue and how God put the pieces together. And if we're really good Baptists, there's other reasons that we love this book, right? Um, and, and there's all of this. But what about the process? How do we take Daniel's process here? How do we take what God has shown this pagan king and how do we work it out in our own lives? This is how we do it, guys. When the nation is gripped by fear, when the worries of this world start to consume our hearts, we need to take a step back. We need to take a step back. There are things in this world that can consume us, worry that can consume us. Probably the biggest of any of these is how do we provide for ourselves and for our families. Money is the easiest one to look at because it is always in front of our faces here. How many times, if we were honest with ourselves, did we compromise things that the Lord said to be true under the guise of saying, well, I don't think God really wants me to be uncomfortable. I mean, listen, there's entire churches that that's their message is that God doesn't want you to be uncomfortable. I read the Bible here, I look at Daniel, and I don't think he's very comfortable in his setting. I don't think God's will for my life is to be rich and, and prosper. I think God's will for my life is what Julie read earlier, is to listen to his word. Those who have his word, we listen to it and we obey it. And this is how we live our lives. This is how Daniel chose to live his life. Not in fear of the words of a king, but in the fear of the words of God. Here's the ironic thing about our passage here. Next week, we're going to talk about all of these different kingdoms and nations that will follow Babylon here. And our big idea today is when fear consumes those around us, are we devoured by it or do we remain devoted to God? Here's the sad thing about this message because we're going to see that God destroys every human kingdom. 
The fear of the Lord will devour. The Lord will devour every human nation. Every kingdom that is set up will be brought to ruin by Jesus Christ. It is a rock that will destroy every kingdom. And fear and trembling when he comes back will rule the day. The fear of him. See, right now, we don't let the world's fear consume us. We let the fear of the Lord consume us. In Daniel here, fire, rocks, beasts, all of these things, we're going to talk about how they relate to the government, to the world around us, to how we respond to things. And we can look at man like Daniel and we can say, Lord, listen, I want to be a man or a woman who fears you and not the problems of this world. But we can also look at what God is doing. And we can say in God's supernatural power, God caused the most powerful man in the nation to tremble. Something about this dream is different. And we have to wrestle with the fact that Proverbs is absolutely true. If you want to turn with me real quick to Proverbs chapter uh, 21. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 1 says, The heart of the king is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever his will is. He turns it wherever he will. Guys, this is true of Nebuchadnezzar. No matter how powerful he is, no matter how great he is, and we're going to talk more next week about how great he is, his heart is still a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He's going to turn it however he will. This is true of every kingdom that has come before him or will come after him. Guys, God is in control. Even when it seems like the the sky is falling, the whole world is burning down, when we feel like we can't go outside because it's too smoky, when we feel, oh, I got to look there. Um, when we feel like it, we can't go outside because it's too smoky, when we're afraid of the next virus pandemic to come down the pike, when we're afraid of who gets elected next, oh, Billy, don't, don't meddle now. Listen, our God's still in control. Even if the government were to say tomorrow, anyone who is professing to be a Christian, stabby, stabby, come into the door. You're dead. How will you respond? Discretion, prudence, you're going to fear the government or you're going to fear our God? Which will you be devoted to? What will you be consumed by? These are the questions that we're left with.